through my meditation practice, what you just described, which is I could literally transmute my energy from fear into courage. I could walk in there. Every time I walked in there and got a good result, I walked out, I was an expert and I learned. Yeah. I, and I did, hadn't read this or heard about this anywhere, but I started telling my kids about it. Like we can change our energy. Welcome to the What I Meant to Say podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Jones, founder of Be Better Media and a mom of four, passionate about human connection. Throughout my journey, I have experienced many What I Meant to Say moments, but since life doesn't give us do-overs, I've created a space to reflect and tell our stories again with a little more grace for ourselves and the hope that we can help others and be better for having listened. Welcome to the What I Meant to Say podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Jones, and I'm here today with Anne Grant. Um, a divorce attorney from the South Bay and the author of The Divorce Hacker's Guide to Untying the Knot. And when I met Anne, I, I actually came to her book talk and I was so moved by her um, growth mindset and positive um, spin, not even spin, positive out, outlook on how to go forward in life when you've hit the stumbling block of a divorce, which is what it felt like to me. And so I just knew that you'd make a great guest. And thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, this is this topic is one that I have been, in some ways I was afraid to tackle for a long time in a public space because it's one that affected my life so deeply and really put me on the trajectory of wanting to promote generational healing. And I didn't realize when I went through my divorce that what at the time felt like the worst thing that could happen could be the biggest catalyst for growth that I ever experienced. And I know that that message resonates in your book and I'm just excited to dig into these topics and kind of break them down as to how to come through this and be better. So I love this opportunity because this topic is really near and dear to my heart, and so I'm excited to talk to you about it today. Yeah, so can you tell me a little bit about your own story and maybe how it played into um, your law practice today? I'd be happy to. So um, I certainly didn't grow up thinking or hoping that I would be a divorce lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, quite to the contrary, I was a corporate litigator at a big international law firm downtown L.A., and my husband also worked at a, as a corporate litigator downtown. We lived in Manhattan Beach. We had three children. Um, you know, from the outside looking in, it looked like we had a pretty kind of perfect life. Um, we were successful. The kids were doing, seemed to be doing great. Um, we traveled with our friends and so on and so forth. And then, um, it really all kind of just came to a crashing halt. As these things go, they build up over time. But nevertheless, it became clear to me on a Tuesday night um, when my now ex-husband came home later than I expected that we needed to end our marriage. And so I was the one that ended our marriage. That coincided with a couple of other events. Um, the law firm where I had been practicing as a partner for a number of years dissolved. This was during the financial crisis in around um, the early kind of mid 2000s. And, um, and then during the same time period, my father, who I was very, very close to um, and was really helping me with my kids while I was trying to get back on my feet, he passed away. Mm. So I had what I would call really the perfect storm of, of crises happen all at once. And it really brought me to my knees. The coping skills that I had developed over the years, um, you know, exercise and um, good habits were inadequate to deal with the amount of stress given the uncertainty that was happening in my life. Um, and so... I had, um, you know, I was listening to Brene Brown as I was driving over here today. Huge fan. Yeah. And she was talking about her own spiritual awakening. And I, you know, assumed we'd be chatting about my story today. But 
there's really, you know, I'm going to be vulnerable. She's a big proponent of that. And I think that's the only way that we can really be of assistance to others. So I really did have what I'll come out now and say was a spiritual awakening. And through that process, I deepened my meditation practice. And, you know, everything that I had held dear had just literally fallen apart within the span of a few months of each other. This happened very quickly. My ex-husband left. I was pretty much left with these three very young children. Um, I didn't have a way to generate any income. Scary. And my father had died. So like the, the floor just fell out from under me at a point in my life when I thought things were pretty level set. So what I learned through this process, and I've been thinking about this a lot, I think it's, it's really um, helpful to share with our listeners that when you're in that very uncertain place, that's really where the magic can happen. Um, because that's fertile ground for needed change. And like you said, growth. Yeah. And so through this process, I did begin working again and I wanted to, as I figured out how to navigate my way through a very difficult divorce situation, I wanted to be of service. And so I started a support group for women who were contemplating divorce because I understood how scary it was. Mm -hmm. And I didn't envision that I'd become a family law attorney. I was doing it with a friend of mine who's a therapist wanting to give back, to be of service. And I think this is an important concept to embrace. So um, that was my intention. But what happened is there was a gal in this group who asked me if she could meet with me and she wanted some legal advice. And I, I represented her and it ended up being a fairly um, significant, complex divorce. But because of my legal skills that I'd honed and the years that I'd spent in the courtroom, combined with my experience, because my divorce lasted for quite a long time and I went through a lot. Yeah, that's definitely something we can hit on. Keep I was able to get her an ama amazing results. And I realized this is my calling. Like I had an epiphany. And so my practice from that point on grew very organically. I, um, I decided that I wanted to write a book. Yeah. Um, kind of like the what to expect when you're expecting of divorce because mm -hmm. that didn't exist when I was going through it. So I did. And out of that, then my, my practice really grew. But um, that, that's how it came about. And, and I love what I do. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's so inspiring to see, because obviously you had the legal background and the training from, you know, the education, but to see how your life experience really catalyzed that growth, because so often I think we feel like we're not, there's a self-worth issue that when you go through divorce. And I think even on a lot of other uh, platforms that if you don't feel like you belong in that space, you might not see the opportunities that are there for you to help other people, right? And I think that that self-worth piece is something that absolutely just gets, it, it's really difficult when you're coming through a divorce. So for you to know that and, and help other women when they are in that space to come through it, is it's so inspiring. And that I, I don't think that's something you can learn. In, you don't learn that in law school, you learn that from life. Right. Right. And mm -hmm. so when we blend those things, you know, our professional training with our life experience, I think really amazing things happen. And that's been my experience. Yeah. So you said something about um, tapping into the magic of, you know, kind of the dark night of the soul, right? Like you don't yeah. feel like anything good is going to come out of this. What are some like what are some tools that you would tell people would help that could help them when you're in that space and it's so hard to see the, the potential good. How do you, how do you navigate your way through that? So what I did is I really drilled down in my book, I refer to it as wellness. Um, and each chapter in the book has a discussion about these tools, but, um, I really drilled down into my, my meditation practice, um, which I combine with my prayer practice. I did a lot of turning it over to my higher power because things were just out of my control. Yeah. Um, and 
I allowed myself to, through some of the readings that I did, I, I taught myself um, that, because I was very anxious, that the uncertainty was an opportunity. And then I, I trained myself to listen to my intuition. If I hadn't done that, I would not have started this support group and I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing today. Um, I also would not have probably agreed to meet with this gal who needed legal advice because I wasn't a divorce lawyer. Mm -hmm. I've been, well, I've been through my own very high conflict divorce, which went on for five years and learned a lot. But um, I really, I think it's really important to understand that in order to be courageous and step outside of our comfort zone, um, and this is a Brene Brown concept, we have to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I have learned through my work, I still do this today too. Um, I don't know if you know who Phil Stutz is, but he's a very famous, renowned um, psychiatrist. And there's a show on Netflix now called Stutz. Oh, okay. And he we'll talks about out. embracing the shadow. Mm. He works with a lot of celebrities, a lot of actors. So he talks about embracing your shadow. And um, this is a really important concept. I think one way to think about it is it's kind of like what we're doing today. We're having a vulnerable, authentic conversation about things that um, leading up to this discussion today, you were describing to me about how these are my words, not yours, but divorce was sort of a dirty word. Mm -hmm. And this is a pet peeve of mine because in my experience, what I did in, and you did, which yeah. is recreate ourselves and become excellent role models for our daughters, our mm -hmm. sons and other women is very, very courageous. And I think that, I do think that to the extent that divorce is sort of taboo or a dirty word, um, we really need to change that because doing what you did, doing what I had to do, um, pulling ourselves up really kind of, I think of it as pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. Yeah. I have to start all over. Yeah. And now I'm going to be really vulnerable. Like mm -hmm. we lost our big house in Manhattan mm -hmm. Beach. Yeah. We moved to a whole different part of town in a tiny little house. My children were probably the only kids in the Manhattan Beach schools who each have one pair of shoes. Yeah. I remember my son leaving for school and um, he's like, mom, or he was getting ready to leave. And he's like, I can't find my other shoe. And I was like, well, you know, I yeah. don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Um, and, and we, um, we really learned to be grateful yeah. and work hard and, and then, again, listen to my intuition. Yeah. Well, and you really do learn going through it, like, what are the things that, are, that really matter? Yeah. Right? What is really important? And that gratitude practice, that was a huge one for me. Yes. Gratitude is such a game changer. And if you pay attention in the wellness world, you'll hear that a lot. You can have a gratitude journal, a jar, or there's so many practices. But people do not, until you really start doing that, you don't realize how much that does relieve the anxiety that you it's feel in the unknown. It's the key. It, it opens the flow of positive energy. And to this day, if something is um, going sideways, which of course happens every day in our lives, um, the only thing we can control is ourselves. We can't control anybody else around yeah. us. And so the gratitude flow, the gratitude meditation allows, um, and, and Phil Stutz has this diagram of it, an actual sketch that he shows that, you know, this black cloud of worry just, it parts and it gives you access to whatever you think of as source or higher power. And that's kind of what I refer to in tapping into the magic to get the guidance you need to step out of your comfort zone. Otherwise, you're just going to be doing the same thing every day. And this is all about being better. Right. And those habits, small habit changes. Right. And it's like I feel like um, when I this be better for me is it was such a slow progress because you know, James Clear writes about 1% better or, you know, the power of habits. And it's like, it's those little things that you can do when you're in the thick of it that, yes, give you some peace in the moment, but that over time they add up. But you can't see it when you're in that fog and you're in this really scary place. You can't see what's coming. And the reframe that I've learned to um, embrace is the excitement 
yes. and that you can't see what's coming rather than the fear. I love that. And that was a big game changer for me. And yes. I don't know if that's something you've used with your I clients. I want to talk about that. Yeah. So I discovered this and then with some people and writers and authors and speakers that are pretty evolved, I'm hearing more people talk about this. So I, um, again, I'm going to be very vulnerable. So I've been practicing law for a long time, but the work I was doing at a big law firm representing Fortune 500 companies was very different from what I was required to do when I first started out with my starting my own law practice. Yeah. So, you know, whereas I'd had a team of people who would help us when we were going to trial and, you know, handle the IT and all, you know, it was mm-hmm. just me when I first started. I have, I have a bigger support system now, yeah. but, but not when I was first starting out. And I, I was pulled in so many directions. I'm sure you experienced this yes. through your divorce where you ha- also have children mm-hmm. and, you know, you're trying to figure out how to, how to do all the things. There's a lot, you're juggling a lot of, there's a lot of balls in the air. Yeah. And I would get really, really anxious about going to court where I'm dealing with issues that I hadn't really dealt before, maybe except in my own case. Right. So I was a seasoned lawyer. But I didn't have that level of family law experience yet at that Mm -hmm. point in time. And I really, really cared about getting the best possible results for my client. I put a lot of pressure on myself. Okay. So I was feeling really tremendous anxiety. And of course, when you show up in a courtroom, a lot of that, or, or, you know, whether you're showing up in a conference room, a courtroom, or on, you know, a basketball court, it's confidence is really key. It is. And so I learned through my meditation practice what you just described, which is I could literally transmute my energy from fear into courage. I could walk in there. Every time I walked in there and got a good result, I walked out. I was an expert and I learned. Yeah. I, and I did, hadn't read this or heard about this anywhere, but I started telling my kids about it. Like we can change our energy. Yes. And once we know it's, I think of it as a form of alchemy. Yes. You know, that really feels like magic, but it's not. I mean, there's a method to mm. doing it. Mm-hmm. That, that was my experience. Yeah. And I love the way you put that in the energy terms, because there is so much psychology to it, but there really is just a natural energy to the way that the world works. And you, when you start to open yourself up, you start attracting like minds and you get you're you're pulling yourself out but then the people come around that help elevate you and it's it really does feel like alchemy right and it's not um i I worked with a mentor who talks about um, alchemy over strategy and i think for perfect for perfectionists with there's a lot of type airs you know perfectionist types out there i mean i'm learning to let go of that stuff and that concept of alchemy over strategy and knowing that you can't check every single box, you're not going to get every single thing right, and letting go of the things you can't control is—it's so powerful. Oh, absolutely! It's—it really is about energy, and not to get too woo-woo, yeah. but um, to to the point you just said about attraction. So, as we do this, as we shift our energy through a practice of gratitude, through um, shifting our energy from fear to to courage. And we start showing up for ourselves. Um, what happens, I think, is our vibrational, um, the energy that we're exuding starts to yeah. improve. Right. And kind of spin upwards like this. And so we call like energy to us, like mm-hmm. you inviting me to be on your podcast. Yes. And getting to talk about a topic that, you know, is a little different from what I'm usually asked about, which is, you know, separate property, community property, you know, those, yeah. those left brain issues. Yes. And so like attracts like, mm-hmm. and, and we hear, we do hear about this a lot sort of in terms of like romantic relationships or whatnot, but it really impacts every part of our lives and yeah. it really changes the quality of our lives in, in vast ways that, that I don't think we can understand until we've experienced it. Right. And you're getting a lot of that is bringing in the concept of generational healing, right? right? And so when we do these things for ourselves, they 
it's not our kid. It's not what we tell our kids. It's what they actually see. Yeah. Right. The model that's going on in the home. Right. And I remember realizing like that I wanted my daughters to see a stronger model. Hmm. And as I, I, I focused on that as I came through my divorce of how can I be a stronger version of myself so that I'm setting that example for them so that maybe they attract a different type of relationship. And sometimes you can do things for your kids that you, you might even have a hard time doing it for yourself, but you look at your daughter and you go, oh wait, I can do this for her. I need to talk to this, speak to this point. Yeah. So I, um, those of us who've been through a divorce or facing one, we know that it doesn't just happen. Yeah. You know, like I, I had this epiphany on a Tuesday night, but I've been like praying about it for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I got my answer. Um, but I have a good friend who not, you know, probably like you, like not many people knew what was going on, mm-hmm. but a trusted friend did. And prior to that, she had said to me, look, if you can't leave for yourself, you need to do this for your daughter. Mm-hmm. And that really struck me. And in my practice, um, I have said that a few times to clients Mm -hmm. where I see that they're stuck. And I think that's a really important point that you're raising um, that, that needs, you know, we need to really, really let that sink in. Our children, my children, your children, learn by watching what we do and how we are. Mm-hmm. by what we say and to be a strong role model for them particularly given the challenges that our children face there's not no important legacy no more important legacy that we can leave yeah not just to our children but you know to the planet and to everybody like that that's the biggest impact we make yes and the thing is you'll realize and I, I've seen this firsthand is the 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 way our families operate, the same way our businesses operate, the same way our relationships, like our teams operate, our communities operate. So when things get fractured, it's not as much of a proponent as I am of the nuclear family and the dinner table. And if it's working, I am, I think it's a beautiful thing. But when it's not, we're leaving little footprints of your dinner table is not as enjoyable, right? right? So you can have that healthy family post-divorce. And I think it's, it's so hard to see before. Yes. And getting through that, you're going to get to those values, those value, the value system that was always important to you. And this was something I struggled with. You realize you get on the other health, the, the healthier side past your divorce. And that value system is still intact, if not stronger. Yes. Yeah. I want to speak to this as well. So, um, cause this is a really kind of like crusade of mine. So in the seventies, there were a lot of studies coming through and in the literature and what was getting out into the, you know, the, um, kind of the mainstream was that if you got divorced, um, your children were going to be toast, you know, Mm -hmm. they were going to be destroyed by it. And that, that mindset stuck around for a long time, but a newly released study, like within the last 14 months, actually, um, the, the study reflected what I knew from my own experience. And it was this, that families that stay together for the sake of the children, if the parents are fighting, it's we know we already know that's that's not that's damaging right but the other thing that's damaging which happens a lot and since i do this now for a living i am a, very aware of how prevalent this is so where a couple is cold and contemptuous with each other mm-hmm. living separate lives not talking to each other mm-hmm. the children can be equally as damaged by that and what i found through my own personal experience was that when I started over mm-hmm. and created um, a different family, which was me and my kids, 
it was much, much better again because it's energetic. Yeah. And so there was, had been a per, one person who really wasn't in alignment. Mm-hmm. And even though it's not easy being a single mom, it was better and resulted in a more harmonious household um, than if we had stayed together. And that is what the data shows now. And I think it's critical that people that are staying together because they think that's helpful for their children understand and really internalize what I was told by a therapist, which is as long as the children have one solid parent, Mm -hmm. they're going to be okay. That was one of the most comforting things that anyone ever told me. And it was coming from a friend of mine that's a a therapist. And And it's true. And in the thick of it, I was like, that was something I could just hook into and use that to increase for me to keep growing stronger and be better because... And we didn't really have any role models of that, but now we can yeah. talk about this. Yeah. And it's really important that we do. Yeah. Um, so that people... I have a lot of women come in whose children are aging out. They're you know going off to college mm-hmm. and they're coming in and telling me, well, I stayed with my husband because you know I thought it was the best thing to do. And, and when I talk to them pretty universally, they wish that they had not done that. Um, often the kids have significant behavioral issues. Mm-hmm. They can't launch at the right, you know, at what mm-hmm. would be a normal time to go away mm-hmm. um, because they're experiencing a lot of issues around that. And, and a lot of times the women have just been really um, suffering. Mm-hmm. So I think it's imperative that that we clarify um, what the facts actually reveal. I hope you're enjoying this conversation on What I Meant to Say, produced by my company, Be Better Media. To see the world of why we are striving to share inspired edutainment, I invite you to please check out our website, bebettermedia.tv. Here you will find all kinds of great stuff from upcoming new productions to lifestyle products and services I personally use and endorse, to links to great books and other podcasts I love and recommend. Please check us out at BeBetterMedia.tv. That's BeBetterMedia.tv. In setting a good example for our kids, we, we get into that mindset that, that it has to be a certain way. That the, I always call it the, the Christmas card picture and the idea that it has to be this way to, for us to be happy. And um, I think as I came through, I, I didn't know how to show up in that space as the strong female when you're in a relationship where you maybe you haven't been that way. And I'm wondering when people come to you, what are some of the other, um, besides just seeking legal advice, what are some of the other things that you recommend for women who are in that place where they're scared and their self-worth has been, has taken a hit? Um, Do you have other resources within your practice that help women come through this? I do. So, um, you know, I can't do everything. So what I've done is I've created a network of helping professionals. Um, yesterday, for example, I was working with a gal who's a divorce coach. She's a former client of mine. Mm. And, um, then she got certified to most people don't even know this is something that exists, but she's trained to deal with women in that kind of frozen place because we, you know, that happens a lot. I have experienced that being in that place too. It's, it's no bueno. You want to get out of that place. Yeah. So, um, so I'll have them work with, with her. Um, I often have them read my book because there's, um, so many tools in there about things that we can do from deep breathing and meditation. And I became a yogi through this process. You me don't too. have to be a, a yogi, <laughs> but it certainly helps. That was a game changer um, for me. Yeah. Standing on your uh-huh. head is, is good. Yes, um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but, but beyond that, um, we work with financial advisors. Um, there are certified divorce financial analysts that I often bring in because, of course, we're a lot of us want to maintain our lifestyle. We don't know how we're going to do that. So they can work with my clients and show them quantitatively. Different, there's different levers wow. we can pull to get them where they need to be. And then we also work with, if we need to, parenting 
um, co-parenting uh-huh. um, specialists because a lot of times when people split up, um, they have different parenting styles. Mm-hmm. And when you're setting up two separate households, that can be really an issue. And so there are people that are specialists in this. That's fascinating. Because that term co-parenting is used a lot these days. And when I read, you know, if you read about divorce and they, it, it's usually thrown out as a very positive something you know, way to deal with the, the kids. And, and honestly, as much heartache as you are going through in your divorce, I, I, you hurt worse for your kids. At least that was my experience. And, but co-parenting is a, it's a difficult thing to navigate exactly for the reason you're saying is Maybe you wouldn't even be there because you have such different points of view, right? And are there ways, I mean, how do you guide people through the best way to help your kids through this? And then even when you get through the initial on the other side of it, yeah, it's it's difficult. Yes. Um, The majority of the time that my ex-husband and I spent Um, in the courtroom, which was about five years, was after the judgment was entered and it was on co-parenting issues. So I really suffered through this and knew there had to be a better way. Um, And that is why I often, if if there are issues there, I'll have people work with co-parenting therapists. So, um, and what they'll do is really work with the couple to to co-parent. But my experience was different. So I had to implement what I refer to as parallel parenting. Mm. And what that means is there was no co-parenting happening. Mm-hmm. So I had my kids most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the good news was, you know, I got to do things the way I wanted to do things to make certain that they kind of stayed on track with their program and they each had therapists and, yeah, you know, so, so parallel parenting, and it's a term, I didn't make that term up. It's a term that is used, but we don't see that often because people always talk about co-parenting, mm-hmm. but if you cannot co-parent, if your ex has issues that preclude that, which happens, mm-hmm. then, you know, you have to step up and do what needs to be done. And back to the point we made about if the children have one solid parent, they're going to be okay then that is incumbent upon you to do that. And that's why I spent a lot of time talking about these grounding techniques. Mm-hmm. So you can put, you know, like an airplane, put the oxygen on mm-hmm. yourself before you put it on your children. Take care of yourself, ground yourself so you can show up and be there for them. Absolutely. Because when we're worried about what's coming, it's very hard to be present with your child. And a lot of the co-parenting, when I hear... You know, and you see people when, when, when divorces happen, so much control ends up come that, that need to control things that you really can't control anyway. Don't, do you see that coming through a lot in the, in, in, in the divorces that when you're in trial, like, do you see people that, that, that need to control? I look back on mine and go, well, if Tuesdays and Thursdays don't go exactly like this, everything's going to fall apart. Because you're in that fight or flight and you're in that place where everything feels so scary. So you're trying to control everything you can. And then as time went on for me, I was like, oh my gosh, there's just so much. Like, I'm not going to be able to make this up. I'm not going to be able to be in every single place and do every single thing right so that I can make up for this terrible thing that my kids just went through. And when I started to release that feeling of like, you can't be everything to everybody. You can't control everything that your kids are going to see or do now yes there are safety mechanisms and ways to you know support them and build you know that safe network and family around them but when you can't you you do realize you can't control it all and i don't know do you have any advice for someone that's like really in that place i remember being in that yeah allows you to kind of release yeah. that that sense that you're going to be able to make it better. Well, I think it's really important to remember so this that when you're in that place, oftentimes what I find is that the biggest custody disputes, mm-hmm. you know, arguments about the children result in both sides trying to exert control. It's a mm-hmm. control battle. Mm-hmm. The biggest trial I ever had was a custody battle 
Um, but what it really boiled down to was just issues of control. And, and I even went through this in my own experience. So uh, I, we had um, gone through a custodial evaluation and it was arduous and lengthy and it was time to go to trial. And my children were um, a little bit older at this point, but, but they weren't, you know, they weren't, certainly weren't out of the woods yet. They were still minors. And I had this epiphany. I was driving down the 405. It was like an out-of-body experience. I called up my ex-husband. I hadn't spoken to him in years, except in the context of being in a courtroom. Mm-hmm. And I think he was shocked when I called him and I said, you know, let's just let the kids decide. And, you know, I kind of had all the ammunition I needed to get where I needed to be, but a miraculous thing occurred, which was as soon as I did that, um, the energy, again, energy shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't going to trial any longer. Some issues that were going on that were very unfavorable, in my opinion, um, in terms of the children spending time with him, just fell away. Like, just because because I stopped doing this and I pulled back. And all of a sudden, like, my son had been in the doctor's office every Monday morning because um, he couldn't breathe and we'd run mm. all these tests, but it was stress. That went away. I had been breaking out in hives. That went away. Um, And just in terms of my energy, I was able to, I think my practice doubled at that point because I I was throwing too much energy into this battle. And so things calmed down. And my my children then, from that point on, we let them choose, which is kind of unorthodox, but we let them choose where they were going to go. And they pretty much chose to be with me as sort of, not sort of, but I was the home base and yeah. they slept at my house, but they would go see their dad yeah. more on the weekends than, than he had been, than the time he had been allocated in the temporary orders. And I just let him, yeah. I was just like, fine. And as soon as I did that, my life got better by multiples. Wow. I started dating again because I wasn't throwing all this negative energy. You know, that that's like a lot of negative energy. It's completely. And so as a result of that, epiphany that I had when I set up my own practice I knew there had to be a better way and while I still will go to court when I need to and I've got the skills to do that I'm trained collaboratively as are my other attorneys so that we can work through the process in a very collaborative way and we don't go to court when we do that which avoids this Mm -hmm. happening as much Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to figure out whatever mechanisms I can and I'm coaching my clients to to just let's shift the energy and not do that. Yeah. You know, you really have to have that 30,000 foot view. And that's where the divorce coach is helpful mm-hmm. um, so that you're not so down in the weeds that you get lost in that. And you're fighting over things that maybe are not as important as you think they are in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So for people who don't know the um, the term collaborative divorce, um, you, I know you, that was a little bit on it, but can you define like the difference between that mm-hmm. and a regular, you know, a sure. regular divorce? Sure. So a collaborative um, process in the divorce world means that if you were hiring me, for example, to be your collaborative attorney, your spouse would also hire a collaborative attorney. So you have representation, mm-hmm. which I think is very important that yeah. you have representation because a lot of things in family law are sort of counterintuitive. Mm. So it's important to have somebody, you know, in your court who's yeah. explaining to you yeah. what you need to be aware of. But what we do instead of going to a courtroom and, and creating this this sort of energy we've been talking about that isn't helpful. Right. Um, we'll meet around a conference room table, for example, and we can come up with creative solutions like ways where maybe mom can stay in the house until the last child graduates from high school and then have the first right of refusal to, to buy out the house. And if she doesn't want to, or she can't, then at that point later down the road, the house would be sold and the net proceeds would be split. Mm-hmm. Um, so things aren't just blown up, Yeah. for example. That's yeah. just one example. But we signed an agreement that we won't go to court. Mm-hmm. So um, during the pandemic, we did it by Zoom. Mm-hmm. I prefer to do it in person because I right. think 
you know, I've learned that 98% of communication is nonverbal. Yeah. So it's helpful to have these in-person meetings when we can. Yeah. We can't always do that. I have clients all over the world, so sometimes they have to zoom in. Right. But um, it's really what I consider to be a pretty enlightened way, a much more enlightened way to move through to a through a divorce. Um, I spend a lot of time when I'm retained um, talking with my clients about whether a collaborative divorce makes sense. There's certain instances where I might advise against it. Okay. Um, Could you, would you mind highlight just, yeah. yeah what, so by its nature, be? it's collaborative. So right. that means that both parties can come to the table mm-hmm. and compromise. Neither person's going to work away feeling, walk away feeling like they won. It's a compromise. Yeah. It's voluntary. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to show up. Yeah. Sometimes people can't show up. Um, and you need to cooperate, Yeah, you know? And so if for some reason somebody is unable or unwilling to do that, um, then that process may not work. But those of us who are trained in the process really believe in it and, and work really hard to, to make the process work. Have, and my, my clients that have gone through the collaborative process mm-hmm. are by far my happiest divorced clients. That's awesome. Cause that was one thing when I went through mine, I, I, you really, I've tried to think about it since then, but like, I was very opposed to, you're already feeling so much shame that you're going through this. And then I remember thinking, well, I don't want to, how can I, I don't want to shark. I want someone that's going to help me just see this through really clearly. And maybe without the drama that you see on TV or yeah, hear about or read about. And it's, but there's also a fine line to make sure that you really are protected. And I think that that's such an important thing for women to realize with hiring an attorney is for that attorney to understand the state of mind that that woman is in because she can't necessarily see where she's going to get. And I think, do you ever look and, and you can, do you feel like you can see, you can see the other side before your client can see every day. Yeah. Every day, and I think something uh, something to be aware of, and the reason I'm a big proponent of collaborative is because you do have representation, mm-hmm. as and, opposed to having a, a just a, a mediator, right? Because yeah, there is a way to to get a divorce where you right. just have one a mediator, a yes. mediator in between. Yes. So mediation is when I and I sometimes act as a mediator. I'm a neutral, so mm-hmm. I'm not representing you or your mm-hmm. spouse. I'm just trying to facilitate an agreement. So whatever you agree on is fine with me. Okay. So I'm not telling you what is in your best interest. This is why I feel it's so important that even if you mediate, um, often people will hire me to be their consulting attorney and women should understand that their spouses probably have somebody in the corner for them that Mm. they may not know about who are advising them. So it's very important to have someone giving you advice. I've had a lot of women come to me who are divorced, who went through mediation, who've told me that, or they've asked me if I can change things that they agreed to. Mm-hmm. You know, once you sign that document, there's always a lot of provisions in there that make it pretty challenging to get out of it. Yeah. So it's really important. It, it's probably for most women going to be the most important financial decision they'll make in their life. So it's not something to be um, rushed through or, and and the other thing is you shouldn't assume that your um, spouse has your best interest at heart when you're going through a mediation. Um, Because I've had a lot of women come in who have stories to tell. I, I mean, I represented a gal who was in mediation. She was in marriage therapy Um, Then in mediation, and she came to me, and we discovered that while she was in mediation, her husband had gone to Brazil and married another woman and moved most of their assets to Brazil. So it was a setup. And that's a pretty extreme example. Sure. But but it's really important to make certain that you're protected. Yeah. And you, and you can be protected and still move through it without having to battle it out. Yeah. 
that's that's I think the benefits of the collaborative process. Yeah, and I think it's really removing that stigma that somehow it makes you a, a, a bad person or that oh, you're, no. you know what I mean? I, it would be imprudent not to. Yeah, when, when it's such an important, so many important decisions are being made. Yeah, yeah, and I do think you know when we're coming through these types of relationships, if we've been in the people pleasing role, if we're dealing with codependency, yeah, for. People don't realize when they look back in their to look back in their family line and see, wow, these things were brewing. And and it in part it can take some of that help you. It's not that there's someone to blame, but it's an understanding of the patterns that get you into certain modes of thinking that lead to these types of relationships. Right. So, you know, I I often notice there's a, there's alcoholism. Yes. There's um you know, mental health issues or the, the way that we treat our bodies, our minds and our spirits has been going on. And I love like um, the Native Americans say that our choices go back seven generations. I right? believe that. And it's such a beautiful um, and motivating concept to me because we're not, nobody's all bad or all good. Right. I mean, right. we're not our worst day or our best day. We're some of all of these choices. And I just think that like understanding the way our families are set up and looking, being able to look back and go, oh, wow, I didn't realize that like my dad had been dealing with, you know, alcoholism in his family or, you know, my sister had been struggling with this. It 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 impacts the person that you become and then you attract a certain relationship. That's for sure. Right. Yeah, codependency is, um, I see this a lot. I was meeting with a gal yesterday, a new client who, whose husband is an alcoholic. And as I sat and listened to her, I began to realize that I was dealing with really a battered woman, even though she hadn't been physically abused. And it was such a, a deep, fortunately, um, the divorce coach was working with me as we were going through this. So it was such, it's so deep seated that even though it was very evident that she needed to move forward and serve him, because as soon as you do that, um, he can't just start moving assets around. And we mm -hmm. thought that he might be. So there was a really good reason to, to do this now. Mm -hmm. Um, she came up with a reason that wasn't a good reason as to why we couldn't. And I needed um, both the divorce coach and her therapist to explain to me today. Mm -hmm. I was like, what's going on with this? And they're like, well, she's having a trauma response. Um, so I'm seeing this a lot. So during the pandemic, um, you know, people were shut down that had been living their separate lives. And so as a result of that, my practice really exploded and continues to grow. And I have many, many people coming in. I feel like almost every person who comes in is telling me, not every person, but many that, you know, my husband or my wife, but mm -hmm. it's a lot of husbands, um, you know, he, he had a drinking problem and it really became pronounced during the pandemic. And I just can't do this anymore. And then in dealing with them, what you see is that the wives of people with substance abuse often are very codependent mm -hmm. and, you know, they don't have the same symptoms, but they really sometimes struggle with disentangling themselves yep. and, and it's energetic Yeah, and it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. And it's something I'm, I'm dealing, I deal with it every single day. So I'm very cognizant of, yeah. of this um, challenge. And I think for people that, um, are in that situation that, you know, you asked me what tools there are. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of tools. Yeah. You know, there's Al-Anon. Yes. Which is an amazing program mm -hmm. um, and really helps women in particular, I think, and men too, um, regain their footing, mm -hmm. their sense of self so that they're not people pleasing mm -hmm. like in overdrive. Right. And they've got to really start looking up for their own best interests. And sometimes they just don't know how. Yeah. So yeah. it's a, it's a process. That's why I think it really does kind of take a village and a team to move people through each of these phases. And that's why in the book and in my practice, you know, we look at, I really look at holistically 
not yeah. just the legal piece, but I bring in other people and, and you know, you're one of those people yeah. as a life coach who can work with clients to help them re-envision how to recreate their life from the ground up. Yep. It's, it's, it's huge. And it really does take a village. Um, I, I, I'm continually amazed at how all the little things matter. I mean, even going back to trusting your gut, mm -hmm. I mean, the quality of the food that you're putting in your body allows you to trust your gut. Right. Like the, the, you know, the meditation and yoga allows you to quiet your mind so that you can see clearly and they're simple little things and you don't have to do them all at once. Cause I think that's something else that people can get really bogged down by. And that in itself can be a trauma response, that mm. procrastination of like, yes. I can't do it. Like not today. Right. And then you stay stuck. Yes. I see that a lot. Right. Yeah. And going in and, yeah. and, and, and people don't realize that that procrastination and putting things off is a trauma response. Yeah. I, I, I also encountered that I've moved through that now. Um, cause I've had so many challenges that forced me to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is one of those Phil Stutz things where he talks about this, you know, the only way, well, this is me talking now, but, but he does talk about this in his book, but like the only way through it is through it. Like you yeah. just got to go. Yep. You know, and it doesn't have to be perfect. Right. You just got to like get dressed, get up, get dressed, get going. Yeah. And, and, you know, the more you do that and exercise that muscle, mm -hmm. the better off you are. Because I do see a lot of my client, new clients coming in right now that are in these situations where they come in and they're good to go. And then they're just chasing their tail. You know, they're, they're like, well, I can't focus on that because I've got to focus on you know, this trip that we're taking, it's like, look, if we don't focus on this and get our arms around this, there aren't going to be any more trips. Right. You know, sometimes yeah. I feel like I almost have to shake them Yeah. because they're not prioritizing the things that matter. They're getting bogged down in the details and kind of using it almost as an excuse yeah. to not deal with the things that really need to be given yeah. the attention that they deserve. Right. Because you really have to deal with the big picture. You really do. It's the big picture. And for you, um, when you break that down for your clients, um, I know you break it down in your book, but what's that big picture entail? I know it's, it's financial. It's your well-being. It's dealing with your children. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so there's so, so many things. And I went through this feeling of sort of feeling um, like a, I remember standing in my garage and thinking, I don't know where to start. I don't know if I should be packing up to move or if I should be trying to work more to generate more income mm -hmm. or if I should be like, you know, in the house doing a crossword or playing with my children because they're so trauma. Like, right. And oh so my consequently gosh. I was standing there in my nightgown in the garage at like 1030 in the morning, just frozen. Yes. That's why I wrote the book mm -hmm. um, because not everything has to happen at the same time. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Anne Grant as much as I am. And I really encourage you to check out the Divorce Hacker's Guide to Untying the Knot, what every woman needs to know about finances, child custody, lawyers, and planning ahead to get on the other side of a divorce better, stronger, and ready for your future. Available on Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. That's why I started my blog. Because yeah. I thought, you know, no matter what, I want my kids to know what I was thinking as I was going through this. And I had wished that I could find something. One of my first thoughts was I wish I had something from p past generations of my family so I could figure out how this all happened. Because I, it wasn't a blame thing. It was just like, how the heck did I end up here? Right. You know, I mean, yeah. because from the outside looking in, it's all yeah. pretty rosy, right? Yeah. But there's all the generation on that's where this driving force has come from me to, to, to tell stories because I think when we are vulnerable and we talk to people and we say like, I've been through this, most of the time you end up, that person goes, yeah, me too. They There's don't go. more powerful than me too. And yeah. not the movement, but right. having that connection. Yep. Um, and it's, it's great that you're doing this work because it hasn't been talked about. I don't think really at all. Yeah. Um, what we're talking about at this level. And I think, it's probably going to be very helpful for a lot of people. I, I never felt ashamed or, or um, I, I had a different experience when I ended my marriage. I, I've been kind of hand wringing for a couple of years about what was the right thing to do, and so I'm praying for a sign. So when I got my sign mm -hmm. and knew I needed to end it, 
I felt just relief and excitement. And so I have had to really dig deep to, and I feel like now I do have uh, empathy and compassion for this other way of being, which is more common, which is to fear, feel shame and like a sense of failure, yeah. I guess, over getting a divorce. But I'd really, I'd really like to work to change that because I just don't see it that way at all. In fact, I think it's a very honest way to be, mm-hmm. um, a very authentic way to be, and you're being true to yourself if it's not working out. Um, to you know, and, and I think that you're doing the best thing for everybody involved, your children and spouse included, to not live a lie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it keeps you stuck, right? You know, and the, that's the, what the data shows now, too. Yeah. So. Yeah, and so it doesn't mean that that, and I don't know what the data is on this, but it doesn't mean that your 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 children are gonna. You can show them how to go on and have healthier relationships because you made the choices that you made, rather than right. being stuck in that shameful space. Because we know that anything we're ashamed of, whether it's a divorce or an addiction, it just piles on. And oh it, yeah, and there's nothing. There's nothing good. Shame is a useless emotion. There's no value to it. It, yeah. is, it is a very negative emotion, and um, lots has been written about it. Bernie Brown has written books yeah. about it. But anything you can do to eradicate it through your personal wellness practice um, is certainly a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah. And and I think it gets passed down generationally, too. It's very heavy. It's Agreed. Sticky. Yes. Um, it's very black and white. It's very yeah. right and wrong. Right. You know, divorce is wrong or, you know, there are just so many places that we can get stuck thinking that it has to be a certain way or else. And it's just not true. Nope. It's just not true. (laughs) It's It's just just not not the way it is. Yep. So um, one of the questions I love to ask um, everybody that comes on what I meant to say is, what is a piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? Hmm. (sighs) Don't be scared. Everything's going to be okay. Trust your gut um, and take chances. Yeah, that's a big one. And that's all about banishing that fear, right? Don't be scared. So the way you looped that back around, the only way you can take chances is when you let go of the fear. That's right. And turn it into the curiosity and... Be, be curious and turn the fear into excitement. Yeah and um, your life will grow exponentially. I love it, I love it. And you've done that from, gosh, to, to change and, and go f- to start your own law firm and be able now to help so many women coming through a difficult situation that can really give rise to so much growth and so many healthier families. And you so know? much freedom and happiness. The joy I've experienced as a single mother when I stood at the top of Machu Picchu with my son, a place I never imagined I would go and only went there because of him, um, I, I realized that anything was possible. I, I mean, I, it, it, and that's been the, the journey that I've been on and my mission is to, um, to let other people know that that, that that is possible for them as well. Yeah, and you're giving them the building blocks to get there. That's the amazing thing. It's like it doesn't all happen in one day. Oh, no. And it's you a process. Know, it's a process. And for people to understand and then just build that community around you that can help you get through and make those choices and do the enjoy the process. And hold you accountable. Yeah, uh, that's, that's huge. That's what the book was about, is to walk you through the process so that you don't get stuck. and. You know that you know you don't have to decide what to do about your house on day one. We'll deal with that later. But right now, here are the things that you do need to do. I mean, it's not a perfect template, but it does help give you some direction about how to prioritize things. Yeah, because I was I struggled with that myself. That's really empowering to have somebody that can help you um, really break it down yeah. when you're in that very you know, scared and, and one day at challenging a time. space. It is definitely one day at a time. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it, it, it all starts to add up to really amazing things. How old yeah. are your kids now? So my youngest, um, my son is 21. He's, he'll be graduating from college. Um, 
and then my daughter is 26. She's going to grad school, and my oldest daughter is 35, and I have three grandsons. Wow. And so you're doing this. I mean, the generations are just building, and, and it's, it's just incredible to see when people really just take on the challenge in life and, and let it be a catalyst for growth. It's just my, it's my favorite thing to see. It's the best example we can set for our kids. And um, one of my favorite things to say is self-awareness is the greatest gift we can give to the next generation. That's and you're right. helping people do that. So thank you so much for what you do in our community and for empowering women to make good choices for themselves so they can set examples for those next generations. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you. And so thank you so much for joining us on What I Meant to Say. And until next time, I just um, want to remind you to be real, be you, and be better. Thank you so much for listening to What I Meant to Say. If you enjoyed this conversation, you know what to do. Subscribe, rate, review. And for more great content, courses, and lifestyle, go to BeBetterMedia.tv. Some of these stories contain sensitive content about real-life events, and all of the information in this podcast and from anywhere on the Be Better Media website is for informational purposes only. If you find that you need help, which we all do from time to time, please reach out to a licensed professional for help.